I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And if you are using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you'll uh, find our passage on page 599, page 599. And if you don't have your Bible this morning, I would encourage you to look for one of those Bibles around you so that you can follow along. So Isaiah chapter 40. I'll begin reading for us in verse 1, and I'll read through to verse 11. This is God's Word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amen. This is God's Word. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for Your Word, and Lord, uh, we turn to Your Word now in faith believing that You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Word and that You speak to us, Your people, through Your Word. And so, Father, we come to these moments now and we humble ourselves and we ask You, Lord, speak. By the power of Your Spirit, take Your Word and change and transform our hearts. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy live and proclaim the gospel. And as many of you know, we are currently in a three-year plan, in the midst of a three-year plan, in which we are working through the specific elements of our mission statement by focusing on particular elements of our mission statement in six-month increments, okay? So if you look on the wall here, you'll see the plan that is laid out For the first part of this year, we're focusing on the theme of the glory of God. And then the latter part of this year, we'll be focusing on the gospel. Then going into next year, we'll focus on making disciples and then enjoying the gospel. And then in 2023, we'll focus on living the gospel and then proclaiming the gospel. So this is what we're doing right now, this three-year plan to work through the specific elements of our mission statement. Again, our our mission is is to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. 
Now, right now, as we're focusing on this theme of the glory of God, it's, a, it's helpful for us once again to define what we mean by the glory of God. So, one biblical theologian has defined the glory of God this way. The glory of God is, quote, the fiery radiance of His very nature. The fiery radiance of His very nature. Or you might remember several weeks ago, I shared this definition of the glory of God with you. This is from John Piper. And John Piper, a Christian pastor and theologian, he defines the glory of God in this way. The glory of God is, quote, the going public of God's infinite worth. The going public of God's infinite worth. And and both of these definitions are illustrated well in Isaiah chapter 6. So, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple. And there are these angels that are around God and His throne, and they are covering their eyes with their wings because of the brightness of the light of God. And they say over and over and over again in the presence of the Lord, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His And we would expect them to say holiness, but they don't say that. They say holy, 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 the whole earth is full of His glory. Because God's glory is when His holiness, when His perfections, when His infinite worth go public, when they fill the earth, that's God's glory. And we believe as a church that the Bible is finally about God and about God's glory. And therefore, we believe that we should be a people who are finally about God and about His glory. Not only because this is right and because it is good, but because the Scriptures tell us that when we pursue God's glory above all else, it will in fact be good for us. It will lead to our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, for this is what we have been created for. I shared this quote with you a few weeks ago, but I want to revisit this quote because I think it's so helpful for us as we think about this theme of the glory of God. It's from A.W. Tozer, and he writes these words, quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, end of quote. So this morning we are going to begin a series in the book of Isaiah. Now we're not going to cover the entire book of Isaiah in this series. Isaiah is 66 chapters. 
But we are, over the next number of weeks, going to focus in on one section in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 40 to 48. And we've entitled this series, God of Glory, Comfort, and Restoration. Now, you might be asking, well, why, why Isaiah? Why are we, we just finished a series in 1 Timothy, why now are we jumping to the book of Isaiah? Well, because in these chapters, Isaiah particularly emphasizes this reality of the glory of God. And Isaiah emphasizes the glory of God in such a way as to present the glory of God as a source of comfort for God's people and a source of hope for their restoration and their renewal. Now, as we start a series on the book of Isaiah, I feel like I need to acknowledge up front that there are perhaps a significant amount of people here this morning who would say, I really don't know much about Isaiah at all. Maybe there's a significant number of people here this morning who would say, you know, I've never read Isaiah. I've never studied Isaiah. Or some here this morning who might say, if I'm really honest, I don't really know much about the Bible as a whole. I'm just starting to learn about the Bible itself. And I will admit that Isaiah is one of those sections of Scripture that is more unfamiliar to Christians as a whole. And so when it comes to those passages of Scripture that are more unfamiliar to Christians as a whole, pastors and preachers have kind of the option of one or two approaches, okay? The first approach is this, to just avoid those passages of Scripture that are more unfamiliar, and rather to focus on those passages of Scripture that are broadly more familiar to people and immediately seem more relevant and practical. So, for example, one might choose to focus on passages that speak about the life and the ministry of Jesus, maybe to focus on the practical passages in Paul's letters that speak about Christian living, and to really just work through those passages again and again. There's another approach, though. The other approach is to say, yes, we should focus on those passages that are familiar to most Christians as a whole, and we should, we should teach those passages. Those are very, very important. But there should be seasons and times as well where we challenge ourselves, where we press into those passages that are less familiar so that we can understand them and we can know them. And so I have chosen to take that latter approach. I want us to press into some passages over the next several weeks that perhaps many of us are not as familiar with. And one of the reasons why I want to do that is because I am convinced that as a pastor, one of my primary responsibilities is to lead us in knowing God, and the way that we know God is that we know Him through His Word, and that is all of His Word. I am convinced that all of God's Word is beneficial for all of God's people. And so, yes, there are sections that are challenging, more difficult to understand, but let's press into them together. Now, for those of you who have never studied the book of Isaiah, you don't know much about the book of Isaiah, maybe say, I don't know much about the Bible as a whole, I want to encourage you, stick with me. I do hope that there will be, this, this series in Isaiah will be understandable and accessible to everyone. doesn't mean you're going to get every single thing 
but I believe there will be things that are beneficial to you. My, my hope as well is that for those of you who have studied Isaiah before, that there will be perhaps fresh or new insights that you haven't seen before that will be helpful to you. And my greatest hope above all is that all of us will be moved through Isaiah's words, through this study in the book of Isaiah, to come to trust and to worship the God that Isaiah presents to us, the glorious God of the Bible. Now, with that in mind, the intro is going to be longer this morning too, by the way, okay? With that in mind, let me give you, as we start to move into these, into these verses, let me give you a little bit of the historical context in which we find these passages, okay? These verses. So, Isaiah ministered during a time in which Israel was divided into two kingdoms, okay? So, Israel is the nation, the people of God, and because of Israel's sin and rebellion against God, the nation was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, which was retained the name Israel and was known as Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. Now, both of these kingdoms rebelled against God. They worshipped false gods and idols. They uh, mistreated one another and acted towards each other in ways that were unjust and unrighteous. They uh, committed sexual immorality and were wicked in the ways that the nations around them were wicked. And so, for all these reasons, God's judgment came upon the people. God's judgment first came upon the northern kingdom, Israel, in 722 B.C. So this is about 700 years before Jesus was born. And Assyria, which was a nation in the north, came and conquered Israel. Now, Isaiah ministered during that time. So Isaiah's ministry was from about 7, this is roughly approximately, about 740 to 700 B.C., okay? And right in the middle there of Isaiah's ministry, 722 B.C., is when Assyria conquered Israel. And so leading up to that moment, Isaiah was warning the people. He was calling them to repent. He was saying, God's judgment is going to come, but they wouldn't listen. And Assyria came and conquered Israel, and Isaiah lived through that period. Now, when we come to chapter 39, the verses just prior to the ones that I read this morning, Isaiah now is prophesying that in the years to come, another kingdom will emerge, the kingdom of Babylon, and they will come and conquer the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay? So look at chapter 39, verses 5 through 7. Chapter 39, verse 5, we read these words. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, this is the king of Judah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom, your father, um, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Okay, so this is, this is Isaiah's prophecy. Assyria has already been judged, and Isaiah is saying, Judgment is going to come upon the southern kingdom as well, and it will come through the nation of Babylon. And Isaiah's words are fulfilled about a hundred years later, in 586 B.C., when Babylon comes and destroys the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, 
There is, though, this dramatic shift that takes place in Isaiah between Isaiah chapter 39 and Isaiah chapter 40. This is the midpoint in the book of Isaiah, okay? And there's this dramatic shift that takes place. In Isaiah chapter 39, Isaiah predicts, he prophesies that Babylon is going to destroy Judah. But what happens in Isaiah chapter 40 is that Isaiah projects himself forward into history, okay? And when Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 40, he is assuming that Judah has already been conquered by Babylon and that many of the people that were in Judah have been exiled to Babylon. They've been taken from their hometown. They've been resettled in a foreign land in Babylon. Okay? And Isaiah is projecting himself forward some 100 years And he's speaking now to these people who have been conquered by Babylon and who have been exiled in Babylon. And Isaiah rightly assumes that they are shell-shocked. They are devastated. The city of Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah, was the, the epicenter of God's activity and presence among his people. It was where they came to worship. It was where they came to sacrifice. It's where they came to seek God, and God promised to dwell among His people. And Babylon has completely destroyed Jerusalem, torn down the walls, raised the temple. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that they so destroyed the temple that one stone was not left on top of the other. And so the people are absolutely devastated. And they are full of all these questions. Where is God? Has He left us? Does He love us? Is He still committed to us? Will His promises be realized or has He forgotten us forever? And Isaiah is projecting himself forward some a hundred years and now he has a message for these Babylonian exiles. But here's the glorious thing, my friends. The message that Isaiah has for these exiles is not a message of judgment, but it's a message of hope. It's not a message of condemnation, but it's a message of grace. It is a message of comfort. In Isaiah chapter 40, God announces comfort over His sin-wearied people. God announces comfort over His sin-wearied people. And this announcement of comfort, it comes actually in four different sections, four announcements. And I want us to look at each one of those this morning. The first announcement is this. Be comforted. God's punishment is complete. Be comforted. God's punishment is complete. Look there in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So, if we look at chapters 1 through 39 as a whole, chapters 1 through 39 are really characterized by denouncements of Israel's sin and prophetic warnings of judgment. But as I mentioned earlier, there's this significant transition that takes place now from chapter 39 to chapter 40, because here we see, obviously, that the message is no longer a message of judgment and condemnation, but now it is a message of comfort. 
Notice in verse 2, there we read, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. As I mentioned before, this was the place where God had promised to dwell with His people, to be among them and to specially meet with them. But now it's been destroyed, and the people are exiled. But God speaks specifically to Jerusalem. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Or it could be literally translated, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And what is the message that God has for His people who have been wrecked by their own sin, who have been suffering the pain and the consequences of their sin? The message that He has for them is that His punishment and His discipline is complete. And their sins now are forgiven. You see it there in the text. Your warfare, your hardship is ended. You have received double for all your sins. Your iniquity is pardoned. You know, my friends, there are times where the Lord disciplines His children. There are times as the people of God where the Lord will intervene into our lives and He allows us to experience the pain and the consequences of our sin. But it is especially during those times when we still have the bitter taste of the consequences of our sin in our mouths that we need to hear the message that God does not discipline us because He hates us or because He wants to crush us. God disciplines us because He loves us, and He intends to restore us and draw us back to Himself. And that is the message that Isaiah has for these Babylonian exiles who have been wrecked by their own sin. This promise of restoration that Isaiah announces here in these opening verses is actually fulfilled in the years to come. When God moves in such a way that Persia, which is another kingdom that emerges, overtakes Babylon, and after the people of God have been in exile for 70 years in Babylon, God moves upon the Persian king Cyrus, and Cyrus allows the people of God to return to Jerusalem. It's a remarkable thing. These folks who had experienced the judgment of God and had been exiled because of their sin, now the discipline and the judgment of God is over, and they are allowed by the grace of God to return to their land, to be restored to their home. You know, one of the fascinating things as well about Isaiah's prophecies is that oftentimes what we see in the book of Isaiah is that his prophecies have multiple layers of fulfillment. So as I just mentioned, as Isaiah here is promising comfort and forgiveness and, and restoration, that your, your, the discipline of the Lord is complete, that it's over, that this is going to be a new day. This is initially fulfilled in the people of God being returned from Babylonian exile to Jerusalem and being able to be reestablished in the city there. But there's a further fulfillment. Actually, when we turn to Luke's gospel, it's apparent that as Luke is writing the opening chapters of his gospel, he has Isaiah in mind. In fact, he has passages like from Isaiah chapter 40 in mind. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we read, 
that, let me give you a little bit of the context. Jesus, at this point, he, has been bo- he is born, he's a child, and Mary and Joseph take him to the temple. And when they take him to the temple, they're carrying him, and there's a man in the temple, and his name is Simeon. And Simeon sees the Lord Jesus. And we read the account in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Luke records, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's actually the same exact word that's used in Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. He was waiting for the consolation. He was waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he sees Mary, and he sees Joseph, and he sees them carrying the Lord Jesus, and he sees in the Lord Jesus the fulfillment of that comfort and consolation. And Simeon begins to prophesy over the Lord Jesus, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel." And so what what Simeon perceives here is that, yes, the Lord has already, in one sense, fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, and he's restored his people back to the land, but there is a greater restoration that is needed for our sin and our rebellion against God. And Simeon sees that restoration and comfort in the Lord Jesus, who will then grow up to be a man and live a perfect life and die on the cross in our place and take the punishment for our sins so that God can truly say to his people, comfort, comfort my people. Your iniquity, verse 2, your iniquity is pardoned once and for all in Jesus Christ. And so we see how the words of the prophet Isaiah are fulfilled here and the people returning to the land and the coming of the Lord Jesus. But before we move on from this first announcement, I do want you to hear the heart of God in these verses. Hear the heart of God, the instinct of God as He moves towards His people. Sense in these verses what God's relational disposition and instinct is towards you if you are one of His in Christ. One author has put it this way, quote, "...there is an end to the disciplines of God." Faith is not all struggle. It is also release and hope and new beginning. God's deepest intention towards us is comfort. If the focus of Christianity were our sins, our future would be shut down. But in fact, Christianity is all about the saving grace of God. He overrules our stupidity with His own absolute pardon through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do we sin? Yes. Do we suffer for it? Yes. Is that where God leaves us? No. When His discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with overwhelming comfort. See in God not a frown, but a smile. Not distance, but nearness. Even when we don't act like the people of God, He still identifies with us. He calls us my people. He still calls us Jerusalem even when we're far away in exile, end of quote. So the first announcement is be comforted. 
For God's discipline, God's punishment is complete. The second announcement is this. Be comforted and prepare for the coming of the Lord. Look there. uh, Let me repeat that because I know some of you are taking notes. Be comforted and prepare for the coming of the Lord. Look there in verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall and hill uh, be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the Lord here addresses His people in the wilderness. Now this may be an allusion back to the exodus. Because some of you may recall that in the uh, Old Testament, God delivered His people from the bondage and the slavery of Egypt. And when they were delivered from Egypt, the people were set free, and then they rebelled against God, right? They worshipped other idols. They did not trust God's good provision. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness for some 40 years. Well, now, moving forward in history, as we think about the Babylonian exiles, it's like they're in another wilderness. It's like they've returned to the wilderness again. God has vacated Jerusalem. He no longer dwells there among His people, and they've been cast away. They've been thrown out into a foreign land. But the Lord is planning to return. That's what Isaiah chapter 40 is about. God's coming back. He's going to come back to Jerusalem. He's going to come back to His people. He's going to be among them and present with them. But the people have a responsibility. They are to prepare for the Lord's return. And how are they to prepare for the Lord's return? They are to prepare for the Lord's return through repentance. Look there in the text. It says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. Now, what's, what's, what is Isaiah saying here? You know, it, it reminds me of many a times when I've driven through the mountains. And when I drive through the mountains, I'm always, or oftentimes, amazed by the way the roads are constructed through the mountains. Constructed so that we can drive around or over or even through the mountains. And we know that those who constructed the roads there, they had to cut down trees, right? They had to bore through mountains. They had to tear up the the ground and level out rough places. And then they had to put a smooth pathway so that we could travel through that rough terrain. And you see, all the imagery, the metaphors that are being used here in Isaiah are to remind us of the rough terrain that people would have to traverse in order to enter into the city of Jerusalem. But God is not calling the people to change the physical topography outside the city of Jerusalem so that there would be an easy physical path to enter into the city. No, God is speaking here of something spiritual. God is speaking of a spiritual and moral reformation that He is calling the people to bring about amongst themselves, to repent, to repent of idolatry, to repent of immorality, to repent of injustice and unrighteousness, and anything that would obstruct the coming of the Lord to His people so that He might dwell with them in holiness. Remove it all. 
Don't let there be any sin, anything that you would hold on to that would prevent the Lord from coming among you in power and in glory and in holiness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And again, these words are initially fulfilled when the people of God are actually allowed to leave Babylon and they return to Jerusalem. And as we read the biblical story, God raises up prophets like Nehemiah and like Ezra. And through the ministries of Nehemiah and Ezra, the people of God turn to God in repentance. It's not perfect, but there is widespread repentance and a widespread common turning to the Lord to seek Him in His Word and to follow Him in obedience and faith. But there's yet another fulfillment. Luke again picks up on this passage. And Luke recognizes that through the people coming back to Jerusalem and the ministries of Ezra and Nehemiah, these words have been fulfilled. But there is a greater fulfillment. And actually Luke chapter 3, Luke speaks of the ministry of John the Baptist. And Luke speaks of how John the Baptist prepared the way for the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And Luke records these words in chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. And John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. And he cites Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 3 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepares the way for Jesus. And you remember the people would come to John the Baptist. The crowds came to them and they said, John, what shall we do? And John said, if you have two tunics, if you have two cloaks, keep one and then give the other away to someone who doesn't have one. And the soldiers, they came to John and they said, John, what shall we do? And he said, stop extorting people for money. Stop threatening them for money and making false accusations. Be content with your wages. And the tax collectors came to John and they said, John, what shall we do? And John said, stop stealing from the money and requiring more than what is obligated. And instead, take only what is required and treat the people with fairness and justice. And in your economic dealings with them, be righteous. Do you see what John is doing? John is filling up the valleys. He's leveling the hills and the mountains. He's smoothing out the rough places so that the people will be prepared when the Lord Jesus comes and dwells among them in His power and in His holiness. So listen, my friends, this is not the message of the gospel. Some people say that the message of comfort and hope in the Bible, the message of the gospel in the Bible is comfort, comfort my people because God doesn't care about your sin. Because God will overlook your sin, and He doesn't care about it. That's not the message of the gospel. That's a false message, and therefore that's a message of judgment. The good news of the gospel is this. God loves us so much, He is going to lead us to a place where we love Him more than we love our sin. When we long for Him and we choose Him over and above our sin... 
where our sin is our greatest enemy and he is our greatest treasure. And God says, I love to dwell among a people like that. Not a perfect people, but a people whose heart is bent towards God in repentance. And God says, I will come and I will dwell among you in glory and in power. The first announcement is be comforted because God's discipline is complete. Second, be comforted and prepare for the coming of the Lord through repentance. Third, be comforted. God's Word will stand forever. God's Word will stand forever. Look there in verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Now, in these opening 11 verses of Isaiah chapter 40, you notice that there's all this emphasis on speech, on the spoken Word. So, as you work through these verses, you see there's, uh, there, there's references to speak, cry, cry out, uh, the Lord has spoken, cry, I shall cry, um, the Word of our God, lift up your voice, lift it up and fear not. So, so why through these 11 verses is there all this emphasis on the Word, speech, the spoken Word? Well, after the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile, we can imagine that those who have experienced the wrath of Babylon, those who have been exiled in Babylon, they might respond to Isaiah's message and they might say something like this, listen Isaiah, all this talk about comfort and restoration and renewal, it's wonderful and everything, but the Babylonians are probably going to have something to say about this. And if the Babylonians have anything to say about it, there's not going to be any comfort, there's not going to be any restoration, there's not going to be any renewal, because we remember, we remember what the Babylonians did to Jerusalem. And what is Isaiah's response? All flesh is grass, including the mighty Babylonians. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but here's the key. The Word of our God will stand forever. In other words, Isaiah is saying, do not fear because there is coming a day when God will blow the Babylonians off the stage of world history and His Word will be fulfilled. Every promise He has made to you. And the Babylonians can't do anything about it. And of course, as we've mentioned before, God's Word was fulfilled. The Persians are, are raised up by God. They conquered the Babylonians. Cyrus, the king of Persia, says the people of God are free to return to their home. And again, Luke sees a further fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. So in Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. Okay? So we've seen Jesus as a baby, 
And Simeon rejoices over him, the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And we've seen John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Repent and prepare for the coming of the Lord. And now in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his public ministry and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And on one Sabbath, he attends the synagogue, which is where the people gathered to worship God. And Jesus is asked to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up and he doesn't turn on this occasion to Isaiah chapter 40, but rather he turns to Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads the two opening verses of Isaiah chapter 61. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls the scroll up. He sits down, and Luke tells us that everyone who is gathered there in the synagogue is looking to Jesus. They want to hear what's His comment on this passage of Scripture. And Jesus says to those gathered in the synagogue that day, today this Scripture, this Word, has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that all the promises that God made before, all the prophecies about one who would come to bring comfort and salvation and redemption to His people, it is being fulfilled now in my life, in my ministry. The Word of God will stand forever. And there's nothing the Babylonians can do about it. There's nothing the Nazarenes could do about it. You know, this is Nazareth. This is his hometown. And after he reads this passage of Scripture, the people there get really frustrated and upset with Jesus, and they run him out of the city. But they still cannot change what God is about to do through the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. And later on, Pilate couldn't do anything about it, and the great mighty empire of Rome couldn't do anything about it, because all flesh is like grass, but the Word of God remains forever. And listen, my friends, there are times in our lives, and you may be in a moment like this right now, where we are so distraught, and we are so down, and we are so discomforted, uh, discomforted, and perhaps we even fear that God has forsaken us once and for all forever. And the only thing in that moment we have is the Word of God. And you know what Isaiah says? It's enough. If you've lost all hope, and the only thing you have is the promise of God. It is enough. For no one can take from you the promises of God and all the promises of God that He has made to us in Christ will be fulfilled. So the exiles did not have to fear, and nor do we. Fourth and final announcement. Be comforted and celebrate the Lord's return. Be comforted and celebrate the Lord's return. Look there in verses 9 through 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those 
that are with young. One of the things that's worth noting here in these verses is that God is not shy about His coming, nor does He want us to be uncertain about His salvation and His restoration. Rather, what we see here is that God wants His people to know, and God wants His people to announce, and God wants His people to celebrate His redemptive grace and mercy. He says, herald of good news, lift up your voice and announce what I am about to do. And who is this God who promises to return to His people with salvation? Well, God tells us here in these verses. Look there in verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, here it is, behold your God. That's the glory of God, right? Do you remember how we define the glory of God? The glory of God is the fiery radiance of His very nature. It's the going public of His infinite worth and perfections. Behold your God. This is His glory. He's making Himself known to His people. And then he goes on in verses 10 and 11 to tell us specifically who he is. As one author has put it, he is a mighty king, he is a wealthy benefactor, and he is a tender shepherd. Look there in verse 10, he's a mighty king. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Now that's good to know if the most powerful nation in the world is bearing down on you. God is a mighty king. He's a wealthy benefactor. Look at verse 10. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. God will never overlook our faithfulness to believe and trust in his promise. Our hope is not in vain. Because as the Bible tells us, those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed because he rewards all those who seek him. He also is a tender shepherd. Look there in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And now, in many ways, the passage is it's coming full circle because in verse 1, we're told God says, comfort, comfort my people. And why is it as his people we should be comforted? Because he's a tender shepherd. As Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, what man of you having a hundred sheep If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And so, my friends, if we belong to the Lord Jesus, he will come after us. He will pursue us until he has made us his own and we are in his presence. He is a tender shepherd. This is a remarkable vision here in these verses of who God is, a mighty king, a wealthy benefactor, a tender shepherd. One study Bible comments on verse 9 where the herald proclaims, behold your God. The commentator states, quote, he shows in one word the perfection of all man's happiness, which is to have God's presence, end of quote. Let me read that to you again. He shows, Isaiah shows, in one word, the perfection of all man's happiness, which is to have God's 
presence. This is what all of Isaiah chapter 40 is, is pushing to. Why should we be comforted? Because God is coming. He's coming in his presence, and he will return to his people, and he will dwell among them. God announces comfort over his sin-wearied people. And so, my friends, as we've walked through these four announcements this morning, let me ask you this. Which announcement of God's comfort do you this morning particularly need to hear and receive? Is it the announcement, the truth, the declaration that God's discipline is not forever? That it's only temporary. It's only for a season, but His love and His commitment to us is forever. Is it the announcement that that if we want to experience the presence and the, and the blessing and the restoration and the renewal of God, then we need to prepare for the way of the Lord. And we do that through repentance. We need to turn from our sins and turn from our wickedness, turn from the things that are, bring us pain and hardship and difficulty and, 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 and so much destruction in our lives. We need to turn to God who wants our best and who promises to come to us as we seek Him through repentance. Is it the message that God's Word and God's promises will always, always, always come true? And so you need not fear. Cling to the promises that God has made to you in Christ Jesus. Or is it the Word that God in Christ has come to us as a mighty king, a wealthy benefactor, and there's a third one, a tender shepherd. There it is. And so we can celebrate, we can rejoice, we can lift up our voices in praise and celebrate that God is now ours in Christ Jesus. God announces comfort over His sin-wearied people. May we receive that message of comfort by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we confess to You this morning that we are sinners and we need grace, and we need mercy, and we need comfort. And Lord, we thank You that You offer us that comfort and grace and mercy in the gospel, in Your Word, and You offer it to us through Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, take Your Word now and apply it to our lives. May we know Your mercy and grace and comfort through Your Word. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.